I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is John. He has CPTSD. Let's talk about it. I'm going to try to say it that way. <laughs> Just mumble it. Mumble it. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> that's right. That's right. If you knew uh, the number of nickname I had, it's totally fine. Uh, well, this uh, we're really excited about uh, this conversation. We're going to be sitting down with John Archambault. It almost sounded like you had trouble with the word with the name John. It did. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce the word John. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's a, it's it's the one three letter name that's uh, fucking really hard for me. Uh, John, uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, we're going to be, I mean, uh, honestly, we're going to be diving into some content that typically when we, we talk about this on the podcast, it's always, it always seems to be a pretty like challenging conversation. Um, and, uh, not that like all the conversations that we have on the podcast aren't, but there's something in particular about talking about PTSD and in this case, complex PTSD that, um, often, oftentimes I think people feel is is like inherently really heavy um but uh we're really stoked that john you're you're a willing to come on a show and talk to i mean seemingly three dudes but really thousands of of strangers uh about your experience with complex ptsd um so so thanks for joining us today why don't you give yourself a little introduction into uh into who you are Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me, first and foremost. Um, so my name is John. I'm from uh, Montreal. Learn English way later. Um, I, I, I was raised in that old mentality of English people are bad and so on and so forth, right, back in the <laughs> beginning 90s and so on and yeah. 80s. Um, and and uh, I studied in Brazil at the age of 18 years old and came back in Canada. My my schooling was not recognized uh, because it was not the expensive university versus the, the free one. Um, <laughs> so I decided to join the military. Uh, I joined in the army for roughly 11 plus years. Uh, five of them were in special force uh, tier one in Canada. And then after coming back from Iraq, I started to apply f- to become a police officer. Uh, I wanted to work and help the community directly uh, versus by, you know, go to war, go overseas or, or serve the country that way. So I was then selected uh, into Calgary Police, and I moved from Ottawa to Calgary for the the job itself. Uh, Did the training of police officer, roughly seven months, uh, worked three years in the street, and one morning I kind of broke down. Uh, and, and that's really in a sh- short, short, <laughs> short story. Um, so three years in recovery, um, uh, you know, uh, going through the, the ideation of suicide and so on and so forth. And um, I'm missing two years of my life. Uh, I mean, in memories mm. for my kids. Uh, I cannot serve anymore, at least in a uniform, permanently restricted. Um, and dealing with, you know, either that a VAC or dealing with insurance and so on. Um, so now I'm a dad at home. Uh, I wrote a book about how dark it gets due to stigma because people have an idea when you say veteran and PTSD. Well, the, the media, the, the movies are talking about mm. violence, right? That's the first thing when... When I would say that most of people sometimes are just hiding in their basement, right? Uh, but because they're hypervigilant and they're aroused uh, by everything that's around them and mm-hmm. the past memories. Um, so I wanted to expose this. I mean, I love Canada, but I think sometimes we can be more patriotic. So as well as I brought, like, what do we do in the military? Kind of a little glimpse. Um, and uh, after this, I self-published. I created a small brand called Wire Differently where uh, I sell apparel and, and all the profit goes to either organization that supports first uh, responder military veterans and their family and to recovery of mental injuries and um, sponsoring team because, I mean, the dopamine that you find in doing sports or activity uh, is quite fantastic for grounding. Mm, so mm. that's kind of where I've been 
swimming lately uh, to remain into that, uh, that serving aspect. So first of all, thank you for sharing, um, you know, uh, sort of what, what your life has been in a nutshell over the last uh, several years. Um, just for a context for folks, uh, I would love to kind of talk about some of the work that you did in the military. And um, I guess it, more, more particularly the work that you did in special forces, like how taxing is that work? What does that look like? What's it like? What is a sort of the day to day activities of someone who is serving in the special forces while like on a deployment? Okay. Um, all right. So in special force, I was in logistics. I was in a support role. So not, not, uh, not the operators and all that, that, that gig. Like, I mean, uh, it was amazing to work with them because there's a level of excellence that is, is amazing to watch. Um, but what it looked like, I mean, I mean, at the beginning, we we were part of the pre-party. So we got in Iraq uh, roughly, I think, a couple of days prior to the team who was coming here. So what we were doing is sending the people who were here, prepping them to move out and bring people in, uh, the new people. So and there was a handover as well with you know logistics that can be supply, can be administration or finance or whatnot. Mm. Um, so we traveled uh, first thing first in commercial air. So we did here Toronto, I mean sorry Ottawa, Toronto, Austria, and, and then Iraq, um, which was uh, I mean it was a straight flight I think of close to eighteen hours where you I think there was like five or ten families in the in the plane and the I love kids I have to um but uh, <laughs> we all know what it is right yeah so, right right uh, so we landed and we started to uh, you know roll around what we had to do um so I prep my my stuff to receive the guys and get the other people going uh, I'm meanwhile I'm in touch with actually my uh, our team at operation uh back home in Ottawa where there's two person who do the same job but supervising me on top um and uh, and making sure that everything kind of flow well mm. right um so when we do that, that administration and so on stuff, then uh, people came in. Now we had some hiccups because they landed in Kuwait. Uh, the plane was too angled. Therefore, the pressure of the cabin was kind of broken. I think I'm not a plane person. But at the back <laughs> of, of uh, the latch and so on, there, there's a pressure, pressure issue. So we had to fly them, um, let's say roughly 50 guys, a bit everywhere, but to get the same place in Iraq, mm-hmm. Erbil, and up north. Mm-hmm. Now, welcome them. We're a bit behind because obviously plane issues and so on and so forth. Uh, and then they're going into location. Meanwhile, we're still in touch with whatever's going on. So on the morning, you have a big meeting, so on and so forth. You do what you're supposed to do. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to like minimize because there's a lot of things that are uh, kept uh, secret, right? So, sure, sure. Um, so yeah, so we we get an update of what's going on in country, out of country, and so on and so forth. If we have help or if we have people coming in or we have to go get in. Um, at the airport, if you wish, and our compound was on the airport itself. Right, mm-hmm. we were like Canadian. There's Americans, there's uh, German, and so on and so forth. Um, and the guys who are at locations, well, they are as well with special force, right? And depending which tier, uh, some train whatever the, the the special force of Iraqi or uh, the regular military. Um, so. While this, we were building is a third tour that is going on. Yeah, the third tour, and we're also building our camp. So during the day, we also go into the market with our little Helix uh, Nice Toyota, where, where they have 100 <laughs> like HP maximum. You walk with your, you have your handgun or your sidearm wherever you go. Now, depending, we have to do as well our grocery because we have our own little kitchen, if you wish, or we can eat with the Americans as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but depending if you do night shift or you work throughout the day or whatnot, uh, all depends, right? Like I'm remembering my commander, uh, commanding officer was in the same pod that I was, which is a trailer. And I could tell them the man was up from six o'clock in the morning, three o'clock on the, uh, at night. Right. Mm. And he, that would be his days. And wow. Uh, so, so you have that drive, right? You're working around people who have that drive constant and it's not motivation. It's beyond that. We're talking about commitment to the mission or whatever that mm. is. Maybe mm-hmm. discipline that you have to it. If you have a time during your day, you go work out, which we have a, a tent and some, we had some uh, base plate of airplanes and, that was the floor, uh, and, and you work out if you can, and so on and so forth. Uh, if you're not outside to get stuff, right? Because we had to build a server room, we had to build, you know, mm. uh, this office, and so on and so forth. So, and 
like everywhere, you need to clean your spot. So each spot, I have to clean an area per week or per day or whatever that is, shower, bathroom, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we're a small group there who kind of maintain our own yeah. as best as we can. And is there like, I mean, that sounds like, it sounds like quite a quite an operation. It sounds like a lot of moving parts, a lot of work. Um, logistics, if you will. Yeah, a lot <laughs> of logistics. Um, but did you like... In, in the midst of that, like, you know, during a deployment, during like a time of conflict where all of these things are happening, how does it, what does it look like for like downtime for you there? Is there, is there downtime during that period or, or is it really, is it kind of like, you know, you, you have a certain amount of hours that you got to work every week and then on your off, you have like just a short amount of off time or like, how does that, how does that work? The, the short time is when you have nothing to do, right? So you're done your errands, you're done whatever you do uh, related to your job, specific job. Then, yeah, the workout or reading a book or it can be going online and messaging your family if you wish, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think we have a gap of time, right? And it was the same in the unit. We had uh, we had bed cuts on the top of our, uh, our offices because you don't know if you're going to stay over. Sure. And it's just right. how it is, right? I uh, We would receive whatever the meal per diem if we don't go home. Uh, I remember calling my wife and said, okay, tonight you're having sushi alone. <laughs> because I, I would ship her food <laughs> because I'm stuck at work. And, and it's kind of, you, you understand that, right? Like mm -hmm. it, there's there's X amount of person in that base or on that mission or, or whatnot. Well, that's that's what they're into it, right? You, you sign a bottom of the sheet, 100%. But if, if you mm -hmm. are... Say let's go with like I don't know five hundred person going the same way, and there's not one person who say ah today I'm just going to punch my card and go away, mm. right? So you're five hundred person who are, are going no matter what, uh, mm. there, which you're going to see at times, right? The the fact that you have a lot of divorce as well, yeah, right, because right. you're not there, right? Yeah. So uh, I've seen guys who were gone for say nine months out of the, out of the year, right? So it's hard for the family and so on and so forth, but. Um, it's on on the same way. It's very amazing to see that those people are not paid that much. So they're mm. not doing it for the pay. They're doing mm -hmm. it for the drive that is behind that, like the right. serving aspect, the sacrifice or whatever we're going to call it. Because sacrifice is not just being at war. Um, sacrifice is actually putting something in front of you, no matter the cost. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that that kind of speaks to what you, what you just said there, like the the, the 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 hardship that that the toll that that can that that something like uh, being engaged in a war can be, uh, how taxing that can be on a family and your relationship, mm -hmm. and how how taxing that can ultimately be on your mental health, and and then I mean probably a thousand other things that go along with with I f I feel like and and maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, but. Um, I, I think that sometimes we think about PTSD or really like any anything that's going on that we need to address with our mental health. I think it's really easy and common for us to think about it as like a big singular event. And mm -hmm. we talked about this the other day, yeah. Brian, with when we were talking, um, um, uh, when we were talking with um, uh, Tyler mm -hmm. um, about like. Um, this this idea of it being a singular event rather than what it probably more likely is which is like a series of a culmination a, a culmination building, like yeah. a, like a chipping away a paper at cut. our at our mm -hmm. yeah exactly like yeah death by a thousand cuts uh, so to speak mm -hmm. and like um like what was something else that jumps to mind that I'm that that I'm assuming I'm assuming would be taxing is like what like what was it like what was the uh what was it like going out and doing, you know, regular typical type things like just being out in the market, but being there as somebody who is like in another country mm. with the locals feeling how your presence is perceived. Like what, what, how was your presence perceived as, you know, like, like a Canadian, like as a Canadian, did that differ towards Americans or was it all kind of lumped into one kind of soup of, of, the same sort of uh, perception of, of, of being there. Well, what did that look like and how did it feel to be out? So uh, at the beginning, I was lucky. So we went two vehicles so we can kind of look at around. We Again, it's kind of a rollover, right? So you have a person who's going to show you around and the other one as well, learn the, the roads and so, so on. Um, and I was lucky enough to be in a car with the two surgeon major of the FOB, of the camp, um, who had like, 
over 20 years of experience and, and tours uh, as operator. And they're like, you know, you need to dress like this. You know what we did in Afghanistan, having our big beard and so on, doesn't work here, right? Iraqis, uh, where we were, I've really uh, clean cut shave, you know, dress very well. I've that old kind of fa fa fashion Casio watch, if you wish, mm -hmm. pointy mm -hmm. shoes and so on. So he's like, you have to dress like this. You have to melt into the group. Now, there's a few things that we kind of learn as well, right? Like some of the culture aspect to respect people, right? Um, and so on and so forth. So we were well received, uh, I think. And my my partner who I was working with, uh, she was the one holding, holding the money the entire time because uh, it was her, her, her duty at that point. Um, now, that was interesting because... The, the male would talk just to, to me or other people mm. would go with and she would be giving me the money and you know we would give it back to that person if we purchase let's say an engine or whatever that is maybe mm -hmm. um there's i would say at times uh, and that was my first tour uh, there's fear right because you don't know what to expect and, and that's that's the biggest biggest point right like um we were one day double parked and it's a very very silly aspect we're double parked we're four person in a vehicle therefore two goes to uh buy i think it was a server or a computer whatever that is and uh and there's the iraqi police i'm guessing who's coming up and they're asking us for a passport and so on and we're like no we don't have our passport we don't travel with them um and we had to call a translator who had to say that he's going to put us in big trouble so we don't get arrested, right? There's just small mm. things. And, and I mean, um, you know that the safety is not the same, right? We, mm. we all believe it actually technically at home in Canada or in US or whatever that is, that uh, we're pretty safe. But the, the truth is, uh, do we really know what's going on in our own neighborhood, mm. right? Like, um, and, and I think this is where sometimes the first responder and the, the veteran or, or the active member, um, I've, a shift in that PTSD, right? Uh, and I'm not saying one is worse than the other. I'm not comparing because, I mean, trauma is trauma. But one look into his backyard or her backyard and, and they're like, yeah, it's not safe after what I've seen. Mm -hmm. And the other one kind of mm -hmm. leave war back there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's definitely um, a different perspective of it. Like, But if you're hypervigilant for nine months, a year in a tour, that can stick to you as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. and and right. what was that like for you like after after your deployment after your your time in the military coming home and um and becoming a police officer uh i guess well i, I guess my, my my one question is like did you did you see much of um how different was that that in terms of like a lifestyle in terms of the the uh the sort of like amount that you're focusing on your environment and work like when I sit, you know, I'm a fucking podcaster. You know what I mean? Like my job is to sit on a comfy chair and have conversations with people. Um, but I, 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 I really have a hard time. And I've, I think about this actually quite often. I, I have a hard time imagining my job being a police officer on duty, on the street, driving a car, um, you know, pulling people over, responding to like domestic violence calls or, or, or like you know, doing wellness checks, like that, that seems like a really high stress environment. Um, and, and it seems to me like it would be quite taxing on, on your, you know, your emotions, your, your physically, like mentally, all of that. And so, um, I guess my question here is, is like, when you look at the work that you did in the military and you compare it to the work that you did as a police officer, um, were there some similarities there or did you find like one, happened to be like completely different from the other like what was your what was your take on kind of comparing those two worlds i, I think if we start the culture is is very different um like the military you are a group your identity self-identity does not exist you're a military member you're a soldier whatever you want to call it right um and you go through hardships together now let's put the mounties aside because the mounties does that five months away which i think it's the closest thing to a boot camp technically right um but but if you go with the military, like you go through, that is that is a boot camp at first. That is your soldier qualification. That is your prep for going overseas. That is whatever maybe you go through crap where it, it creates a form of bound, like in a family. And and I'm gonna care about that person, like if it's family. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had friends that I served with, 
I'll give you a really silly example. But uh, I was posted in Borden, north of, uh, well, actually west of Barrie, Ontario. And, and I drove home for the first time in six months. My transmission broke down. I called one of my cousins and I'm like, hey, can you come pick me up? I'm stuck in the middle of traffic. It's 4.30 in Montreal. And I'm rubbing a lot of fingers because I'm stuck in the middle <laughs> of the, the lane. Um, and uh, he's like, well, I'm having a date tonight. Uh, I cannot do it. So I'm like, okay, well, thanks. And I, I called one of the guys I did my boot camp, and that's, I think, two years later. I didn't see him. Hey, brother, I know you're here. Can you come pick me up? And he's like, yeah, uh, we're skating. I'm going to drop off my girlfriend coming to pick you up right away. There, there <laughs> yeah. was no question, right? Yeah. Like mm. it was, you know, the, the term, like the joke that we see sometimes, I think, or memes online is, you know, your best friend will be sitting with you in jail. And your friend's going to just call you to pull you out, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of similar thing. Uh, in, it, in it for the long run, if you wish. But, but so I think if you look at uh, going overseas as a mission, there's one thing that is, is not as stressful, right? So you, all the little things around that you have to do at home, don't forget to pay the bills. Don't forget to put the garbage out. Oh, we have to pick up the poop of the dogs on the land. Uh, you have to cut the grass. If not, you're going to get, I don't know, bill from someone in the city. Uh, so on and so forth. You don't have that. Yeah. Right. So yes, like going outside of the camp, the stress is that high, but when you're back, supposed to be the safest place by all means. Um, when you're back, that, that stress is, there's, there's nothing that you have to, to remain with it. Right. It's not mm. so that, that at home thing. Now, obviously if you look at um, military, uh, police, first responders, so on, it's 12 hour shift, which usually turn out to be a 14, 15 hours because you most likely come earlier to work out for an hour and a half, shower, get ready, get prepped up your car or whatever that is maybe, and, and then your shift starts. So we all know that mentally, mentally, it's not great shift work. There's no good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. um, there's They tried so many ways and it still doesn't. I mean, you can look at a cop from when he starts five years later, they seem like they have aged 10 years, right? Because... Mm -hmm. That cycle is not healthy. It's not healthy for your bowels. It's not healthy for anything, right? The mm -hmm. cortisol is, is on the roof. Mm -hmm. You yeah. might gain weight. You might have a drop of actually hormones because it's upside down. Uh, so many ways. Now, I tackle that to PTSD while you're having a party, yeah. Um, yeah. right? So Not a very fun party. <laughs> no, no. And, and, and now for the police aspect, it's a different culture, right? Because people always go home at night. Yeah. Right? And I, I always said that to myself and... Um, and you didn't go true, and it seems to be a constant competition, um, which I, I didn't feel that necessarily in the military. We were in competition together against a bad person, right? Versus sometimes it's from within when you look at the police services, uh, which makes it extremely toxic. And, mm. and, and when you feel that you're, I mean, I'll, I'll put it that way. My second trainer told me one thing, do not trust anyone within Whoa. the service. Hmm. Wow. So I was like, why? But he's like, cause, cause you know, you need example to, to get a promotion. You need to have this and that to get higher. And there's what they call, you know, a negative example, which is someone screw up and you're going to punish them or their reputation for the promotion. That's a negative example to get you a promotion, hmm. uh, which I've heard it exists in our allies across the country as well. It's something that is solely normal, I guess, or accepted. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't believe that creates strong teams, right? And again, it's not, it's not, I'm sure it's not a, every cops, but there's, there's people who still abide by that. Mm -hmm. So there's first thing, there's the family versus the job, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's the fact that the military, if you look at how much we're paid per hour, is pretty miserable, uh, but, <laughs> but, but we're not doing it for the time gap, right? Versus I, I've seen cops where, you know, it's punch in, punch out. Mm -hmm. I'm showing up five minutes prior and I'm, I'm gone as soon as I'm told we're leaving. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, again, there's difference there, right? Um, did I feel like I had more choice in the police world? Oh, yeah. Right. But did I add the fear to be as well sued for whatever reason that the public did not like? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, right. do you find did you find that that's a major difference to that like public perception? I feel like mm -hmm. like generally, you know, when you th when you think about it, um the military, you know, the public generally appreciates and respects them. Um but with the police, especially nowadays, mm -hmm. um there's a lot of anti-police movements. Yeah. And so do you, did you did you notice that? So um so I think that would come down come down to accountability, 
right? Um, quite often the public is mad because they don't take a accountability for whatever they did. Like I've had people telling me it was just, just making a phone call. Yeah, well, you're not allowed while you drive. What was it? Was my son? You're still not allowed to do this, right? Like, um, so I don't know. If you drive fast, yeah, you drive fast. You took the chance. You got pulled over. It sucks. I drive fast. I got tickets. I mean, uh, if I pay my own, I, I, I expect that people will do it. Although I can tell you personally, if the person was totally honest and you're right, did wrong, I would have a chat and then go away. So there's a difference, right? The military is little uh, tip, little tip out there for folks who get pulled over. <laughs> I feel like you just I, go, I am so sorry. You, you got me. I yeah. did it. And then, but not, not to like push back <laughs> on that though. I feel like that's part of the problem that the public has with policing is that it is sort of like subjective. Like the, mm -hmm. like you said, you know, the father who is saying, but it was my son. I needed to pick up yeah. the phone and you're like too bad. But then at the same time, if the person's nice and is like, Hey, you're right. I was, doing the bad thing you're like okay well you know in that case i'll just kind of walk away from this one well but but yeah yeah so there's there's various ways we were we were taught yeah either either you give a speech a lesson or you give a ticket right it's usually one or the other and if you get mm -hmm. both well you're having a really bad day <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the other aspect i think that bringing with this and i mean i guess you're right like there's people who will be frustrated because it's not the same for everyone but I'm sure that the person who walked away from that ticket's quite happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I um, don't disagree with you. <laughs> right? uh, we we had that times of when my partner was like, okay, well, the first person will give them a, a chance. I don't know who the first person's going to be, right? And then because we have quota, mm, right? right? And it, it's not official quota, but if you don't get your tickets, you don't get courses, right? Okay, mm. right? Uh, but it's not a quota. To, right. Not not directly. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. So so, and again, yeah. that's that's four years ago, right? So things changed, things yeah. modified, whatever yeah. that is. Um, as same as you know, people are saying, "I don't want camera." Well, why don't you want a body cam? Mm, right. Like it, it's covering your butt. It's literally yeah. covering your butt for everything because people lie mm -hmm. just to not pay hundred dollars ticket, right? Mm -hmm. Or they they're gonna come after you for X Y Z reason because they're not happy about the outcome or. They're in pain, you know, hurt people, hurt people. That's just how it is. Mm. Um, so I, I think it was great to come back home. Okay, mm. let's put it that way with the police. I was happy to come home to my wife and my my first son. Um, but I was not there mentally. Mm. Right? If I, if I start at 6 o'clock in the morning, that means I'm up at 3.30. That means I'm working out. I'm coming back at 6, 6.30 at night. My kid's going to bed. Mm -hmm. And my wife, I looked at her and I'm like, hi, I'm going to bed because I'm up at three o'clock again the next day. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you're home. But what my wife told me is she was more afraid when I was doing night shift here versus when I was in uh, Iraq. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I would love to kind of talk about um, the the day that everything seems to have like fallen apart for you, and we don't have to necessarily get into sure. like the specifics of the the details of like why or, or what happened. But I'm just curious about that day. Like, what 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 um what did that day look like for you? At what point did you start to realize like, oh fuck, something's not okay, something's not right? Um, if, if you could just like kind of give us a little bit of detail sure. to that experience for you, sure. So. I think I think again, like the the paper cut we talked about it. There's mm. first signs that came up. So 2018 February, uh, we're in Florida chasing dolph dolphins. It's great. It was warm. It was mm. not cold like it can get here and whatever that is. So and I, I stopped moving. I couldn't move. And finally, my wife realized that I'm not following. So she turned around and and come and, and she's like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "I, I cannot." Mm. Right. So that was kind of a first sign, and uh, she helped me kind of drag my my butt up to the condo and uh, I hid in my, my room for kind of 
two days until I took my flight back home. And then I didn't uh-huh. want to be, I didn't want my the police service to know and like take my badge, my gun, whatever that is, maybe. So I called the VA and I set up first meeting because you're extremely ashamed, right? There's that's the other aspect. Mm. You don't know what's going on. There's too many feelings and so on and so forth. Um now I was told after that that it, that's ad- adaptive disorder. I was like, okay. Um, one of the things that was hard to digest since the transition, I guess it was, uh, we don't care about your military training. Mm. You know, hearing this where you give whatever, 11 plus years, uh, we don't give a shit about what you learn here. Well, I, I played with that rifle for whatever, 11 years. I, I, can I pass the test in the police? Yeah, we don't care about your training. Mm. Or stuff like this, right? Like, well, why, right? So, but I'd pile up to it. And as it comes, to, I think an, a year after I attended, it's October, I think 27 or, or 29 uh, in 2019. And I have a suicide call. It's the end of my day and there's nobody around. So lights on, let's go, we go. So uh, I'm alone at that point. Apparently I'm not funny anymore. Uh, I, I'm kind of starting to be, to enter places where I should not enter alone, so on and so forth. But to me, it's okay. I'm alone. It's peaceful and safe. You mean like physically in your job? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can go, you know, uh, by team, but I did not get along with my partner. Who, he was a great cop, but the, the punching in and out card, I cannot work with that. Right. Uh, we're supposed to be a team. If the team after us is missing people, we stick around. We don't let mm-hmm. them in crap. Um, and for him, it was like, no, my, my shift is from that time to that time. I'm going mm-hmm. home. Right. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, uh, we're different on those points, but again, fantastic cop for whatever you had to do. Um, so that night I get into the house, I can get the, the message that, well, he has a knife, he opened his, his wrist and so on and so forth. And so I run within the house. Uh, the fiance tells me he's upstairs last room. Didn't check, just ran into it. And he's in his bed. There's a lot of blood in, in the mattress. Um, later we learned it was roughly three liter of blood. Um, Jesus. And I'm just holding his wrist. And he came, came to his face, like eyes round because it probably hurt when I, I really um, hold his yeah. wrist and, and he's like, I'm like, I'm, I'm here to help, man. <laughs> Don't go berserk on me. I'm here to help. So he passed out or so I think a uh, firefighter come up and they have better training than we do on, on, uh, for health. Um, and they started to take care of him. What we never realized is inner tie was also open. Um, so you really oh. wanted it, I guess, right? Like it, it's oh, wow. extremely wow. sad. So uh, paramedic shows up and, and obviously that's like a, a two minutes, right? <laughs> All of this is in a two minute. And, and I'm looking around. I found the weapon to use, put it away so that we can be used against us. Uh, and I'm looking in that room if there's any weapons that you could find to keep the room safe. Uh, so I found one of the uniform and he was, uh, I, I don't know if he was or he is, because we don't have that closure, right? People don't tell us what happened after the fact. Mm-hmm. So he was a correctional officer. So I was like, oh. That's one of us. I call my supervisor and I, I pass that along. And uh, he's like, well, he's like, I'm going to talk to our ops. And then I got told, well, he's not CPS. So it is what it is. We're going to treat it as a, a suicide attempt so far. All right. Um, and then I kind of move his uniform and I see the ribbons. So the guy mm. has been in Bosnia, some UN tours. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. That's one of me, right? Mm. And, and it, it took it very personally. And I guess I was part of the injury there. So I got told uh, after that, well, he's not one of us. We're going to treat it as a normal person. You can call the VA and, and try to get help for him. And, uh, can you and, just and say I, what the VA is? Sorry. Uh, v- Veterans Affairs Canada. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, sorry. Um, no, it's okay. And, and um, so I, I drove with them uh, to the, with the paramedics to the hospital and so on and so forth. Um, and, and I never had news. So in my mind, he's alive. I rather that story finishing alive. But that mm. just shows that we don't have closure there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that, that, that part about closure, I imagine is, is really hard. Um, Taylor and I were in yeah. Calgary, uh, in the airport a few years ago. And we, we've told this story a few times before, but we basically ended up doing CPR on a guy in a, in a, a bathroom for like 20 minutes. And, uh, at the end, I mean, we never got to find out if he made it or not. And I found that to be really hard about that situation because, you know, you spent this time trying to help this person and you're hoping that, you know, you could have made a difference and, yeah. and help the situation turn out in a good way. But in the end, you never really know. And like, I even, I called the hospital the next day. I called the police department just to try to like find out. And they're like, you know, obviously we can't 
yeah. tell you anything, but it's a very, it, it's a very challenging, it's a very challenging variable that like on the surface, you might not, you might not think about how impactful it is until all of a sudden you realize that you're struggling and you realize that like that lacking that piece of information could be like, could be a little key to unlocking why you feel the way you feel. Right. Mm-hmm. It's almost like as if someone, if, if they told you like, yeah, you saved his life. You made it because you were there and went through that traumatic experience, but the person made it and, and is doing well now. Mm-hmm it feels okay to go through that. Tra- like, it's almost like that trauma was okay for you to go it through. Could, because it could reshape it for you. T- totally. Yeah, totally. But like, you feel like also alternatively, if you find out that it, it didn't, I don't know. Like, yeah. does it, does it make it worse? Or does it make it better? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a, uh, it's a very interesting. And I mean, if you think about dispatcher, 911 dispatcher, that's, that's their days. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like yeah. you go through this and, and usually the phone hang up when the cops get in the place or the firefighters or paramedics. Right. Um, and, and depending who it is, I remember people like reaching out to us, like what's going on. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. Okay. Can you, can you give me a closure? And, and I mean, I think most of us do it just for, because I'm putting myself in their, in their feet and yeah. their shoes. Like I would like to know. Um, I've heard, but, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that dispatchers have the highest rate of, um, the highest rate of like mental health issues in, oh, in, poli- in police forces because of, because maybe because of that, like mm-hmm. that it's just, that it's extremely common for a dispatcher to, um, to have like some really serious mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think we, people have not, I think the military is getting, is doing good steps, right. And it's not finished by all means, but with the PTSD, it's more and more talked in between us, which I think it's, it's fantastic. But the, the first responder world is still very new to it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're looking at Alberta, just started to recognize in 2018, correctional officer can have PTSD. So 2018 is five years ago, wow. right? Um, there are some people, I mean, 2012, I believe it's when Alberta Health Services started to recognize PTSD for their paramedic. Isn't it so crazy that it, that that like yeah like I mean exactly what you're saying really that at not not too long ago in the mid 2010s mm-hmm. if you asked somebody or said if you said so and so has PTSD the default is they had to be in the military they had mm-hmm. to be in Iraq in Afghanistan whatever have that was like the two things could not be separated it's like a wartime diagnosis it's a war, yeah it's, it's a war diagnosis and like it seemed like the the average thought was that you can't have ptsd from other stuff mm-hmm. like it just had to be from like a like a war trauma actually there's a doctor uh, i think it was a lieutenant colonel in the military in 2001 or two started to call it an osi for whoever is in the military veterans um, or our first responder, which is operational stress injury, mm. which makes sense, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I could, the, the problem with the PTSD, and I mean, personally, I don't care what we call it. If we can work towards helping people, I think it's fantastic, mm-hmm. right? Because there's argument, we can watch it online about, oh, it should be an injury, it should be a disorder. Truly, I, I don't care. Let's help the people who suffer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and let's make it better for them. Now, when it comes sad, it's when it's overused. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I have PTSD. Wait, 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 wait. What are you, what is, what is going on? And it's not comparing again. Like that's a, that's a big thing. Right. And, and we should not compare it. I heard soldiers saying, well, I was in that one. You were not. Well, well yeah, but it doesn't matter. I went with myself. Doesn't mean I digest it because it's easier for you. Right. We all have different level of, of mentally, uh, I mean, strength, yeah. I guess. Right. It comes down to. Yeah. I mean, people like that's, you see that so much with, with so many mental health issues, like the way that people use, people say that they're depressed when they're sad. They say that they have mm-hmm. OCD when they're tidy. Um, you know, uh, you know, they say they're, they, they're, they have anxiety when they're nervous. Like they say they have PTSD when they, you know, you know, had a bad experience. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it, the, 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 the words get, the words get, used in a way that over time sort of chips away at mm-hmm. the the gravity at the yeah. depth of their of their definition and 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 then ult- and then ultimately i guess society at large then perceives and reacts to people dealing with those things in a way that's not as 
constructive as, mm. it, as it could be if we kind of stayed more, I guess, true to the definitions of what they are. Yeah. Mm. I, I, no, I no, go ahead. Right. Go ahead. No, no I, I was just, ref- uh, I was running my mind and I think, yeah, you have PTSD if you have the diagnosis, right? You have a depression if you have that diagnosis. Um, but it's, we're in a, in a life as well that since like, I would say the 90s, where I think that, uh, that, that, okay, you have a diagnosis now, you're good. I have those pills, carry on, right? Mm-hmm. ADHD and ADD was a big thing, right? Yeah. Uh, in the 90s, right? When they came up with it. And, and I mean, how many times you could hear that, oh, that kid doesn't say he has ADHD. We're going to put him in hockey, football, <laughs> right? And it's a very silly example, but, um, but it, it, is, it is overused at times, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know my wife was calling it for the longest time, the bing bing effect. She's like, you can start talking here, you go there, you go there, you're like a ping pong freaking ball. <laughs> and, um, and it turned out I have ADHD, so I'm like, oh, we're going to call it ADHD from now on. But, uh, <laughs> but it's... Um, it's, it's sometimes I find it offensive for, not offensive because I, that's me feeling that towards something. But if you don't have it, you don't use it as an excuse, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't think that a diagnosis should be used for an excuse. Yeah, yeah. Right? If, you, if you have piss poor behavior, it's piss poor behavior. It's not piss poor behavior because I have PTSD. No. Yeah, no. yeah. Piss poor behavior because you're not happy, mm-hmm. right? Um and, and I mean, this is kind of where the Rome change kind of shift, right? Um, because you take responsibility, accountability, integrity of what you're going through. Uh, I mean, I sat and, and some peer support where the guy's like, I tried everything, cocaine. And I was like, yeah, you're just giving me example avoidance. Have you yeah, sat with yeah. your feelings? Have you sat with what's going on here? Mm. I don't know what you mean. Well, okay. So you've been, this been disconnected, your heart to your feelings, if you wish, to your brain it's time to reconnect. You're not at war anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and that's the other thing, right? Quite often in the military, I find that we shut down this part because it's not useful. Mm-hmm. Right. What are some of the ways, what are some of the ways that when you reached out to the VA, for example, like what were some mm-hmm. of the ways in which you were, you were, um, impressed or really grateful for some supports? Like what were the areas where you felt like there wasn't enough or, or it needs to be better? Um, what were some of those things that, yeah, that, 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 that helped and, and needed yeah. and needed work for you Actually, when, you, when it, you were going through that? It's a hot topic right now, right? With everything happened in the last few months. Um, mm. So I, I did not know how to navigate it at all. And, and I would say when you receive your diagnosis, you need to go, you know, fill out a bunch of paper through the website. And I don't think you're mentally able to do it. I, th- mm. I think a spouse or a dear friend should do it because they see how you change because you have to remember you're extremely proud. That's what comes with a training. So you learn to not say that, 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 that's not normal. Uh, so they, we should have someone else than us writing it. Right. Cause I know the first time I wrote about all my life change, uh, Oh, it's been shifting. I mean, 40 pounds more and sleeping two hours for, I don't know, five, six years uh, per night and so on and so forth. There's problematic, right. Mm. But I'm not going to say again, 40 pounds. We're going to say 15. i'm not sleeping two hours i'm gonna say four because it's a bit more normal um because it's half of eight right or whatever that is how your brain functions so this is something should have been different but i'll I'll tell you that i've been very lucky i think in my own luck if you wish it took me eight different psychologists to find the one that worked properly it took me 18 medication to find that one works properly but i released my book saying about what was going crap it was not great and so dark and there's someone who messaged me on instagram and said um i don't think you apply to what you should apply can you give me a shout tomorrow sure so i called the person the next day and she's like you don't have to answer my question but i work at vac at veterans affair and and can we just talk about what you applied sure i applied to this she's like just so you know do you have this side effect this side so ibs erectile dysfunction do you grind your teeth at night? Do you do you sleep or you sleep apnea? Uh, I mean, like name it, right? There's there's multiple that comes with it actually for one mental health because your your body shut down, right? And I think those are the red flags that are becoming more serious, right? Mm. Uh, my my level of hormones was below the normal. Um, don't know why my heart has flipped. And what, what I say flip is, you know, a normal person heartbeats are roughly 40, 60. 
right? Uh, and when you're hyper or alert, if you wish, you get 110 to 120 or more right? if you're mm. running. So <clears throat> resting, I'm at 110 to 120. Mm. If I get stressed, I go down to 40, 60. Oh, Those wow. are all, all symbols of things that comes with PTSD. Or yeah. is, it, is it the millions of medication that I took mm-hmm, <laughs> that mm-hmm. I couldn't understand? Because that's another aspect. Um, mm-hmm. How many times I tried those sleeping meds and I slept, but my wife did not. Why? Because uh, I kicked her three times. Uh, I punched mm-hmm. her a few times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the side effect. I'm stuck in a terror, not, mm-hmm. not a nightmare. We're talking about terror. It's, it's a bit different. It seems real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so on and so forth, right? So the testosterone is something that removed the fogginess. Um, the concentration would be better. Uh, but now I have to deal that. I just learned I have ADHD, right? So I have no memories. What, what do I do? So <laughs> because it was never a problem before, right? So those diagnoses kind of fall in. Now learning about what dissociation is. Well, there's various ways of saying it, but your brain shut down so your body can have a rest, right? So mm-hmm. you're so activated, triggered, uh, that you lose time. And my wife told me a million times, you were on a couch like a well uh, on a beach. You were there, eyes open, but gone. Wow. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, what, does, wow. what does treatment look like for you today? Um, uh, and and, and in, in, you know, kind of tagging on to that, like what does, your, what, does, what does CPTSD mean to you today compared to, you know, um, the early stages of, of navigating this world? So let's start with saying that I did like think four or five different types of therapy. Yeah. Uh, I did a CBT where you, you tell your story over and over mm-hmm. and, and either you re-traumatize yourself or, <laughs> or cool down. Uh, you have the ART where uh, you can rebuild the story in your brain and it's going to be, you know, stored and you're going to be fine. They have the EMDR, that one worked where you follow green light, like your dreams and so on and so forth. I had the TMS, RTMS, which is a magnetic shock. You receive 40 pulse of shock uh, every, I think it's 32 seconds uh, for 18 minutes. Wow. Um, and then they do the other side of your, your forehead and it's for anxiety. So I did that one too. Lately, it's ISF, which is uh, internal system family. So that's the C, um, the PTSD. It's the childhood aspect where uh, there's yes. stuff that you might not have. Right. Um, digested. And then, you know what? <clears throat> it can happen to any kids. And this is a big thing, right? Because um, my family, are, I think my parents were fantastic. I truly think. Uh, but sometimes what we look is as a kid, you might needed more affection. You did not get it. Yeah. Or maybe you got rejected at school. And when it was time to say to your parents, hey, I need help, they say, it's okay. We don't hit back. And then you hit back at school, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever that is, right? Bullies, mm-hmm. um, so on and so forth. So, that's the C of PTSD. So digesting those things uh, later on, because I realized that I was, uh, my family was kind of a, how you call that? Like a nuclear family within mm-hmm. a nuclear family. Um, so we were not close to uncles and, and aunt and so on. And I got bullied. And then I got told, well, I was, I was told that the military is a family. Oh, I'm going to sign at the bottom mm-hmm. of the page, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the police was part as well of like, I need to self-defense because when I was a kid, I got beat up. I'm a small mm-hmm. guy. So um learn to self-defense and give and protect people. Because I, I, when I asked uh, for help, when I got beat up, beat, beat up, I was working in a bar and the guy thought I was dancing with his girlfriend and I was the bus boy picking up the bottles. And I got <laughs> down. Then I asked the police and the police are like, you're drunk. I'm like, no, I'm working there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and well, we, we will come see us tomorrow. So I didn't want that to happen to someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we build up where we go. Right as well, like uh, from your youth to whatever maybe. Because as a kid, I didn't want to be a, I didn't want to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a psychologist. That was my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out differently. So um, now, now it's once a week. I have um, my appointment with my psychologist, where we kind of review for an hour and a half um, what happened um, and, and some trauma still. So digesting some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people talk about moral. Um, injuries right which is when it happened at work and so on and so forth there's also sanctuary trauma which is another one which personally uh, i don't I, I went through it right i did something wrong happened 
And instead of having your supervisor taking your side, they're using it against yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a double whammy of not a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's another thing, right? So digesting that you can still trust the organization or the uniform is another thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because for the longest time, I would not see a cop. I would not want to see anyone Mm -hmm. um, because of what what happened. So... We're at, to me, we're at the end. I'm starting to be better. There's stuff that I will not do like I used to do, but I accepted that new person because that old person had no feelings. Valve was shut off or was really minimal. Uh, I mean, numbed. Uh, I remember Christmas looking at my kid and you know, a two years old opening a gift, you should have a smile because it's it's funny as hell. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And and I would look around, my wife smiling, my in-laws were like, there's, okay, it's fun. Right, like <laughs> a smile, so nobody's wondering what the hell's going on with me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a burden for them for X amount of time, right? So at one point, it's kind of the protection um, that comes with it. So all doing that work, meanwhile, is as well. It's me going out, walking a block, mm. so to be okay without hypervigilance. Because, like I said earlier, it's, it's the 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 danger is not on the other side of the country of the water of uh, abroad, the, the danger side as well in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what, what would you say is the biggest thing that, um, that CPTSD has taken away from you? Um, I will turn that question to something interesting. I miss sometimes being a little bit naive. Yeah. You know, so it's so been robbed of this. Although I, I, like, I was hungry to know. I was so hungry to know, okay, what's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. We had those morning uh, in Special Force where we had those those meetings. And um, and you would learn about what's going on within the country that there should be, you know, should be worried and uh, or abroad or if there's been an attack or so on and so forth. And I was like, you know, this this part, I miss it at times, right? Yeah. Where I, I could look at my wife and my kids and, and they're fully happy about it, right? Like they're, they're, there's no problem, let's go outside, right? Um where sometimes I was like, okay, wait, wait, wait a minute. Like that mm. happened in a very quiet area of, uh, of Calgary per se. So if it happens there, it can happen where I live as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So, or if you see, I'll give you a good example. My last trigger was two months ago, my youngest a year old was starting to learn at that time uh, to eat some solids. And uh, I turned around I, and it was a stressful day. I had a few meetings with the, the Veterans Affair, some from my case manager and, and so on and so forth. So um, the, the glass is full mm-hmm. as much as we want to put it full. Um, and he started to choke. Mm-hmm. A- and I saw that 18 months old baby dead at one of the call. Mm-hmm. That was what I saw, but that was my child dead. Right. So that threw me off. And I, I did not know what to calm myself down until I removed my shoes, my socks, and I planted in the snow. And, right. and that brought me back right in that present moment, right? Mm. Quite often, the PTSD is, is being stuck in the past, fearing the future, forgetting that we're right now. Um, and, and that's what happened at that time, right? So mm-hmm. um, it, it took me a good two hours to come back. But I think in the past, would have probably took a, year, yeah. a day, two days or, or to digest, right? Yeah. So. Those are low things. Now, what is still a problem? I'll, I'll be honest with you: is the um, as much as I love the people I work with, VAC. Well, for example, they hired now a new company called LifeMark. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a revocational program, um, they will wait until you're totally fine to go back to work. And they're gonna look at what your background is. Either they send you to school or they send you to find you a job. Uh, that gives you roughly sixty percent of your last salary that you were in the military. So for me, it would be forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, life mark is an insurance like WCB or WSIB, if you wish, uh, in the country. Um, now they want to do their own stuff and their job, their goal, their mission is to send you back to work. True, ready or not. It's not a problem. Mm. I mean, at least this is how it feels, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes they put someone uh, on the administration system who has no clue what mental health is, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm telling you, I'm driving to that area. I'm going to be down for two, three days. And you're telling me your follow-up is, well, the next day you have another three hours meeting. Well, you just told me you really don't care about the fact that I'm going to be down, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the hard part because you work so hard to make it that you don't feel broken. You don't feel that you should be fixed 
right? Because those are key words that are sh- shady at times. Um, but, and then you have that person who's totally disregarded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a, it's really interesting because like that, like the way that you just like, described that, it makes it so vivid for me in my mind, how broken the system is in that yeah. way. Yeah. Because like the, I mean, if it's so hard to get help and get better when yeah. you, when you suffer, suffer from mental, mental illness um, or an injury like this. And if the goal of the organization or the, the, the insurance company is mm. to force you back into regardless, work, yeah. regardless, yeah. then it's like that thing that's so hard to already fucking do. It's going to become even more of a mountain. Yeah. yeah. Basically it becomes yeah. impossible. Well, what would you, what would you say is the, what would you say is the number one thing that PTSD has given you? Me back. Hmm. Me back. Um, I, I think I was in a place where it was just about work and, uh, I would like, I mean, the last summer I worked 350 hours over the time. Um, I, I wanted to just, you know, excel in this and, and be better or prove myself. I don't know which one it is. I'm pretty sure it's prove myself, but, um, because you have to think I'm in Alberta, I'm, I'm French, right? There's still sometimes that hate that exists. Um, <laughs> yeah. and it's not from the criminals. Criminals, they don't care what you look like. They see a uniform that is blue. Um, <laughs> so that, that thing that comes back is I, I found myself once again, I'm, I'm not a soldier. Mm. I'm me first, right? Mm-hmm. Am I a veteran? Yes. Yes. But I mean, first and foremost, I'm John with that French name. Um, <laughs> right. And it, that's, that gave me that, that gave me the fact of like, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to understand mental health. Um, it, it's okay to go through it. Um, and stop lying to yourself. You're not here to please the world, but first thing first, take care of you. Yeah. Um, because how many guys and gals that I've seen that after 20 years, right? Like we're talking about a 20 years career of trauma. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's not going away. This, yeah. this is number one, right? Like PTSD and those uniform are not, it's, it's not, it's, it's coming yeah. with it. It's kind of an addition. I, I think the biggest part is, and this is what I'm killing myself at telling people is after two years you have something traumatic go see a doctor yeah go talk right um psychologist does it usually week or bi-weekly because it's just healthy to empty your backpack why don't we do it we have great Mm. insurance let's do it too let's Mm. use our insurance and do it and and dump it uh because it's a it's a rucksack march or it's stuff in your backpack that is not yours yeah right yeah yeah Again, folks, uh, the you know we, we we covered it earlier, but John has a podcast. If this is something that you find interesting, um, you know I was listening to it earlier. I highly recommend it. It's called the Black Sheep Podcast by Wired Differently, and uh, John's book. If you're interested, Operation Wired Differently: Understanding Humans Who Run Toward Danger and the Trauma in Their Wake. Uh, John, it's been a real treat to be able to sit down and pick your brain about the work that you've done about the work that you've done to, you know, combat and, 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 you know, find healing in your CPTSD journey. And uh, we really appreciate you taking time in your schedule to hang out with us today. This has been, this has been really great. Thank you. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.